0: Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse, come as the fire and burn. Convict, convert, consecrate us, and make us wholly yours. Amen. Please be seated. Today's gospel reading starts with an arrival and an announcement. Jesus' cousin John steps on the stage to proclaim that a new act is beginning in the great drama of salvation. You can almost hear his voice resonating, fierce and intense and passionate. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. It's a message of warning. But at the same time, it's also a message of invitation. It's a proclamation of judgment, but it's also a proclamation of a promise. It's a message of hope. That's not a word we hear in this selection from Matthew's gospel, but we hear it repeatedly in our epistle reading from Romans 15. And it's a major theme of Advent. It's a message of hope. But we start with these Strange words from John because that paradox of warning and invitation, of simultaneous judgment and promise, of fear and great joy, I think says something about the strange and astonishing hope that Advent offers us. This hope has a beauty to it, but it's a stark beauty. It's a wilderness beauty. It offers what our hearts have been aching for, and yet when it arrives, it looks so different than what we thought we were asking for, what we thought was coming. It's a hope for something fierce and intense and passionate and fearsome and so wonderful that we hardly dare to imagine it. And so we have to hear, I think, these passages side by side to allow us to start to see how God is drawing his people near, how we participate in this Advent hope, what that looks like. But at the same time, so that we can start to discover along the way more deeply what manner of hope this is and what it's really all about. Some of you may remember last Sunday in Father Lee's sermon, we heard about the temptation to refuse to wait, to seek immediate gratification. Marshmallows, if you recall. And you know this, there are so many appeals to our desires, especially at this time of year, right? All the shimmering beauties and promises that the world has to offer, the distortions of the flesh, the deceits of Satan. Here's what you want, they say. Here's something to hope for. This will satisfy you. And sometimes we get distracted and drawn away. Sometimes we're not sure what it is we're really hoping for anyhow. but I think it's important to realize it would be a mistake to assume that our problem is somehow that we want too much. What the scripture suggests, I believe, is that most of the time, most of us are actually suffering from the opposite problem. Think about it. When the waiting seems long, sometimes holy desire wanes. After days and months and years that all feel like ordinary time, through seasons when God seems distant or silent, we get weary. We forget. We start to lose heart. And that's what takes us chasing after all the sham hopes and the cheap substitutes that the world offers. Not because our desire is too strong, because it's too weak. Because hope for the future has faded. Because we want something that seems attainable. And well, this stuff is here. And sometimes it's just... Easier to settle. We tell ourselves, well, I'm, I'm just practicing contentment. No, you're not. But what's John doing down by the Jordan? He's calling them out. He's calling them back. He's stirring them up. Repent, he says. Through all the cacophony of all the world's substitutes, all the spiritual sales pitches, a single clarion voice says, wait, stop. Listen, that's not good enough. A voice in the wilderness crying, the kingdom of God is at hand, has come near. It's not far away. Maybe it seemed that way, but not anymore. Turn and seek him. Make haste, pursue, cast aside whatever stands in your way, whatever slows you down. Here is your hope. If we struggle for a desire with for we know not what, advent doesn't make it easier. Right? Advent makes the ache more acute. It makes it worse. Advent says all that this world has to offer is not enough to satisfy you. It stirs us up in a way that demands a radical break with the world as usual, that calls us to repentance because our hopes have to be cleansed. They have to be purified. At the last, they have to be taken to the cross so that hope can rise from the dead. The way of hope, you see, the way back home is the way of ongoing repentance. Ongoing because, let's face it, that's not something that happens all at once. We have a whole season for this, right? You have to stay at it. And I think That's intuitively obvious if we stop and think about it. A hope that doesn't seek, that doesn't desire, that doesn't draw us onward, what kind of hope is that anyhow? James tells us faith without works is dead. The same thing holds true here. Hope without a search, if it's not dead, it's at least on life support. What does St. Paul say? So that by steadfastness you may have hope steadfast searching along this way of ongoing repentance. That's how we enter into the hope of Advent. But you may have noticed Paul adds something else to that. He says, by steadfastness and the encouragement of the scriptures. You see, when John stands up and starts to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that God's kingdom has come near. He's saying the rule and reign of Almighty God is upon us. And he's the last of a long line of prophets who have foretold that God would finally act. Matthew says John himself is the fulfillment of one of Isaiah's prophecies. The voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. These prophets have said God is going to act on behalf of his people to set things right. And they've been waiting for this for so long. But he's saying, listen up. The day has arrived. It's here. The promises of scripture are about to be fulfilled. And then he says something more about one who follows after me. One who's stronger than I am. One, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You know who he's talking about. Paul writes, Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What Abraham saw from afar, all the way back from the beginning, it's happening. It's happening now. And there's encouragement here for those of us who have been waiting and who have been hoping, some of us it seems like for so long, to see God act in our own lives. It's encouragement for us who still await the Savior's second coming in power and great glory. We've been waiting for so many years. Because the season of Advent allows us a kind of holy double vision. As we stand with them preparing to greet the anointed one who's to be born. We also stand on the far side of all that God has already done in and through the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of his son. We're here because of that. And that arrival, this is what John is pointing us to, that arrival is our assurance that God is trustworthy and true. What he says he will do. What he announces he will accomplish. Jesus sets the seal upon the promises of God. And the best is yet to come. We hear St. Paul start throwing around all these words from Scripture. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Let all the peoples praise him. The root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, all the nations shall hope. Because the salvation that is made known through the Messiah of Israel is for more than just Israel. The promise that was made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob wasn't just for them. Paul goes so far as to say that whatever was written in former days, whatever was written, was written for our instruction. For us. So that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The drama of salvation that John proclaims isn't just something that happened in the past. A new act has begun and there's a role for us as well. And we're drawn into hope as we're drawn into that story, the story of the scriptures, because it's our story too. But again, there's something strange about this. There's something fierce and fearsome because John sees a delegation from the Pharisees and the Sadducees starting to approach. And he starts shouting, hey, you don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And partly that's what it sounds like. It's a warning against spiritual presumption. He's saying your spiritual ancestry will not save you. Sacred tradition will not save you. Hope demands steadfastness, perseverance, continual conversion, bear fruit-fitting repentance if you want to be part of this kingdom. But there's more to it than that. The promise that was made through Abraham, it was made for his descendants. And yet when it arrives, it doesn't look like what they expected. Their hope has to be cleansed. In some sense, they fail to see what they fail to see is that this is what God was always promising. It's in all the scriptures. Paul quotes them. The Gentiles also would be brought in. The promise. Through the prophets, that God can do anything, even stones can become sons. As Ezekiel foretold, hearts of stone can be transformed into hearts of flesh. This is the promise that takes such a strange form, they don't see it. But there's still more to it than that, although that takes us to the very threshold. Because John now starts to speak about judgment, about fire about an axe that's laid to the very root of the tree, about chaff that's good for nothing but to be shoveled into a furnace. He starts to talk about one coming after whom who will bring that judgment to pass, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, who will clear his threshing floor. And then here's the strange part. He will baptize you, John says, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now you notice what John does not say. He does not say that the one who comes after him will baptize you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. And this is debated by scholars, but I'm going to make an exegetical claim and say, I don't believe this is a set of options that's being offered us here. Holy Spirit or fire, pick one. No, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Brothers and sisters, this is awesome. And this is wondrous. And this is completely terrifying. When John says the kingdom of God has come near, that doesn't mean God's emissaries are approaching. That doesn't mean God's royal representatives are showing up. God has sent a delegation. No, God has come near. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's terrifying because we know from Scripture that our God is a consuming fire. His love is a fierce flame that won't brook any rivals. It isn't safe for sinners to be near this God. He's fearsome. But this is also, at the same time, awesome and wondrous. Because here at last, here at last, we reach the heart of our hope. Make no mistake, our hope ultimately is not just for God's action. It's not just for God to set things right, to change the world, to make the whole world new. It's not even just for God to change us. Our hope, as followers of Jesus, is and must be nothing less than God himself. To know God. To possess God and be possessed by him. To be enwrapped and enraptured in the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we hope for. Nothing less will satisfy us. And on the one hand, yes, that's in the future. We we haven't laid hold of that in its fullness. That's why we hope. Because we don't have it yet. And yet, and yet. St. Paul writes, Make the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may have hope and abound in it. Back in Romans 5, he writes that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even when he says, that you may have hope by steadfastness and the encouragement of the scriptures. The very next verse says, God himself is the God of steadfastness and encouragement. And by the way, that word encouragement is paraklesis, from which we get the name paraclete, the one Jesus in John 14 promised to send to be with those he loves and who love him, the Holy Spirit who speaks and strengthens us to hold fast to this hope. All of which is to say that the God Who draws us forward into hope, this God who draws us forward into himself, is the same God who has already given himself to us and implanted that hope as a burning flame in our hearts. Ultimately, this is how we participate and enter more deeply into the hope of Advent. Through steadfast searching and continual repentance, yes, through the encouragement of the scriptures and the promises that have been and are to be fulfilled, yes. But above all, we enter into this hope by seeking and being found by the Holy Spirit himself, by entering more deeply into that life, that life of judgment and hope combined in one fire, one brightness, one light, one fierce flame, the word that breaks rocks and pieces, the love that melts hearts of stone and turns strangers into sons, the spirit that ignites in us a new and living hope through the promise that has been revealed and is being accomplished in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen.